Hi, you're listening to the Right About Now Poetry Podcast. My name is Davis Land, and this week we are featuring poet Derek Brown. Derek is a poet from Elgin, Texas, where he runs Right Bloody Publishing, which is one of the largest poetry publishers in the United States. He recently published a new book called Our Poison Horse and performed some of the poems from it at Mike Check Poetry in Bryan, Texas. This episode is going to be a little different as I recorded the entirety of Derek's feature, so there won't be music in between, but you'll still enjoy it, I promise. So, without waiting any longer, here is Derek Brown. Zero darkness, zero voice. Here is the story of one man with a strange light and tiny blisses. A story of wild me lost among wild you. I wanted to come down and be in the obscene with you where I could see it all, to leave the black slow sea of the heavens. How empty and pure peace can be, days with no end, navigating celestially, bored, bored to life. But I wanted to come and be with you to taste warm blue waves of deep salt. And the council of the heavens asked me why I wanted to descend into the territory of these gloriously unplugged buzzards. And I told them that I wanted to feel the plush rest of joy. I wanted to sing the song of amazement horrible, the sensations of a spirit mended broken and then becoming aware, living things, to holler among the living, to holler under the afternoon rainstorm juice, to cheer on that ballerina tornado who finally gets to let it all out, to watch your house lift away and feel better, tornado, to feel the kiss of a drunk dog and say, I know, I know. It's rough, it's rough. (laughs) To hunt God, to wash the mud from my gun after finding him hiding in the soil, to put his bloodied head on my wall and hunger in my veins for a no trophy life, no trophy kind of love. To succeed at floating when people keep urging me to sink, to fail at bad hotel bed diving, which means I'm good at bed diving. (laughs) To fall for the night buzz and sudden bugs of writing, that cheap photography. To smell smoke nearby when I am cold. To grieve the way I could not have ever imagined grieving. To grieve alone and feel my muscles growing from it. To have one choice and choose poorly to be thrown from a car crash and wait in the tree line, listening to the crickets strumming for help, 
to undo the faces of my enemies, to love them silently, to aim these lung cannons for fascination and burst into violin, my mouth awaiting someone else to come along who is versed in sparkler. I want sunlight to learn me. I want to learn why a bomb sings that one note as it falls through the air. My shape, too, was breaking the air, colors bursting forth as I imagined splattering, turning into fog and honey and weird stuff. I'm coming down there. I'm ready to wrap my future arms around it all. I would like to dance wolf skinny when I get there under the bald moon, the eggshell moon, the quarter moon that looks like an Arabic shoe. That moon, that beat-up moon that is tired of being written down by poets and overly dreamily discussed. I will find out why it actually returns and who it keeps returning for. I will dare it to gleam across me. I'll let it do its job. I would like to hold the face of a lover and watch their hair turn beautiful as they drift away from me. I would like to marvel at young, unwanted boners. That stupid bullhorn in the sweatpants screaming, sweatpants was a bad idea, dude. <laughs> Always a bad idea after 13. <laughs> to applaud all this loosened old man skin that allows room for weakness. To welcome light as the next shift. To watch all the light slip away and know that I don't know much. To wonder about it all and know that some of goodness was good. To know that that was good and that that was all. To marvel at the journey of impossible lovers. To notice a trophy missing from my wall and know that God can be found and still escape. All of it, all of it worthy of experience. My plea, my plea was for a taste. And my plea was granted and I fell to earth. And I saw what Lucifer saw on his way down. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful enough to break even the blackest of hearts. Let's keep it going. Hello, fellow Texans. Texans. My dad was born and raised in a really shitty little town called Cleveland, Texas, uh, in the east side of Texas. And um, I'm going to share with you two Texas poems right now. Uh, when I used to live in Long Beach in California, uh, a lot of people would say, man, you're moving uh, back to Texas, huh? You're going to die. <laughs> and uh, so this is a poem that I wrote for them. This is just time to speak. Feel a little truth. This is called All Hail the Kindness of Strangers. Wish I had a cardboard banjo. <laughs> so you could pretend I was playing well. All Hail the Kindness of Strangers. <clears throat> what about all the friendly racists? How are you going to deal with people not agreeing with you all the time? Are you going to get a gun, a six-pack of God, and a pickup? Will it be weird not living around Asians? Are you ready for the sun to kick your candy ass every day? 
How will you handle it when the lady at the DMV asks your profession and you try to tell her full-time poet, but she doesn't understand? So she just stamps your application with the word pussy. I know this. I moved here to Texas where my father was born and raised years ago. And the clerk at Target in North Austin saw my hands full and ran to get me a cart without asking. A bartender named Topaz at the Sahara Lounge asked if we were new in town. I said yes, like everyone else. He said, welcome home. And I felt the murder of love in a tall, free whiskey. A waitress winked at me when I got a ringer playing washers. It wasn't flirty. It said, look at you. You did something good. I knew you could do it. The past is all cast away in frosted glass. Home is a feeling. All hail the kindness of strangers. You can handle the weather anywhere if there are good people. And maybe too much good weather makes great people bad and boring. Maybe bad weather makes it feel like we made it through something together. To my friends in the West, I found there's good and bad everywhere you go. And maybe everyone is nice in Texas because it's so easy to shoot someone in the face if they're not nice. Am I packing? Am I not packing? Take a guess. Oh. And I own two guns now. You gotta come and visit. Red chair. Red chair. Um, settle in, everyone. Uh, this is the first four-hour set I'll be doing this year. young, I never understood the use of poetry. No teacher ever made me understand the use of it. I always thought it was to confuse and feel artsy. And those people were just jacking each other off, confusing each other, and it was some weird jigsaw puzzle they got, like when people are doing jazz, and it's complex jazz, and um, I'm supposed to get what all those fills mean, and I don't, and so I felt left out, you know, like, um, yeah, so I um, finally, later on in my life, uh, met a group of people, poets, uh, at a coffee shop, much like this in the West Coast, that made me see uh, how it uh, can bring people together, expose a lot of things, uh, create a bit of rowdiness, and what poetry does, actually, is, is an exact precision of what you meet. And I usually, when I do a workshop, I say, you know, you could ask someone to the prom by saying, you know, I really like your eyes. Let's go to the prom. I'll pay for it. And it's never as good as saying, oh, your eyes are fucking jackhammering into my icebergs right now or whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> useful in everyday life. Uh, I probably could have. See, if I would have edited that, it would have been a lot better. All right. <laughs> So I, when I got out of the hospital, my, I didn't know how to answer my mother when she asked me that question, how do you know you're not going to go to hell? And so we had our first 
at that time, I was I think I was 35. We had our first religious conversation about religion, and um, she didn't know that I wasn't going to church. Uh, I had maybe mentioned it, or maybe she came to a poetry show and guessed it. Um, and I tried to I, I tried to write down our, a little bit of our conversation and me trying to use imagery to explain it. I don't know if it did a good job, but this is uh, what happened. This is called the company machine. My mother says, why won't you come to church with us? I have a Bible for you. They're going to be talking about heaven and miracles. And I said, mom, can we just imagine at some point in my life, I realize that I have dirty clothes on. And everyone comes to a point where they realize they have dirty clothes and mine finally comes. And the smell has finally gotten to me and only when I start to smell it can I decide for myself to go get my clothes clean. And if you call the company for me, I don't get to enroll in all the benefits of their membership program. So time passes and let's say I'm tired of the smell and it finally gets in me and I call the company and the company tells me I can get rid of the smell but I gotta get my clothes washed in only a company machine, in their machine. So let's say I order the machine and it comes and shows up, but it's not assembled. It is wonky and confusing. And much of the machine seems to have been designed at a time when we thought stars were lamps floating in the sky and the world was flat and you had to kill something to say you were sorry. So I'm confused and I'm instructed over the phone to go to a local company office to have a man in a strange suit show me how to disassemble it and then reassemble it so that the washing machine works correctly for me. But each company store interprets the manual differently and they keep telling me to just feel it in my heart and I'll have the machine running in no time. So I decide to read the manual for myself to figure it out. And some passages in the instruction manual are beautifully written, and some are parables on how to assemble a washing machine, and some of it's fucking poetry, red shoe diary erotic poetry. And I just want to get my clothes clean. Why not just write, do this, Derek, and you will have clean clothes. And the first half of the manual tells me how the boss is angry and jealous. And the second half of the manual says how the boss of the company sent a piece of himself, the nice poverty people loving side of himself, to teach everyone how to assemble these washing machines correctly. And he also mentions that the employees make mistakes. And he also mentions that his employees wrote the manual that he tried to dictate. So I'm wondering if there's a shitload of mistakes in the manual. <laughs> I try all day, but I can't put a machine together with poetry. I decide that I do want clean clothes, and maybe I should wash them in my own sink. So thank you, but I don't want to learn about heaven or resurrection from anyone as confused as me. Confusion bleeds through conviction, and I can smell it. And she says, Derek, does everything in this life have to be so black and white. And I say, Ma, yes and no. <laughs> and at that moment, the knight leans in and says, resurrection, Chuh. I come back all the time. <laughs> Holy shit, there's a robber trying to get in.
the only robber trying to bring us wine. A lot of people come to poetry shows and they don't leave with enough facts. This is chock full of facts. This is called Places You Should Never Kiss Someone. You might be like, I like feelings, Derek. No, this is all facts of places I messed up and kissed somebody. Please use this. You can turn it up a little bit more if you like. Here we go. Number one place you should never kiss someone in a men's warehouse. Not the suit store, but the warehouse where they make all the lousy men. Number two, place you should never kiss, a conservative foam party. Not right-wing conservative, but conservative as in the soap is rationed, so no one gets too fucky. Number three place you should never kiss, on the Peter Pan ride at Disneyland. Don't kiss while fake flying. Notice how you move over the darkness. Notice how you move over your darkness. Pay attention to Tiny London. Tiny London's paying attention to you. Number four, number four. You should never kiss someone who's searching for a word. Uh, number seven, you should never kiss someone in Malibu with a sense of humor. They'll be not real. Number eight. You should never kiss in a gay Western seafood bar called Fish and Chaps. Number 11, you should never kiss someone who's trying to enjoy a churro. A churro is just a donut with a boner. Woo, put it on a t-shirt. Number 12, you should never kiss during a conversation at a party full of comedy improvers, which you thought when you read the flyer were going to be improvers which was to be a positive step in the emotional reconstruction of Derek Brown. But no, every conversation at the party is powered by the improv rule of always saying yes to your partner. Do not deny. So yes, I will have another drink with an umbrella and dumb fruit in it. And yes, everyone will wear their church pants into the above ground pool. And everyone will yes, write about the night and capture Derek Brown in unflattering light. And that's okay. And everyone will yes, treat you like great material for their comedy set. And yes, goddammit, you are great material. And yes, it's getting too late for acid. And no, I will not take it. And yes, maybe I'll consider it. And yes, my hand. My fucking hand. And yes, you will drive us all home or a place that's been waiting for you to name it home. And yes, you will nap lucid in a new uncynical life of wet pants, bonus drinks, and learning to say yes. Put a towel on the seat, goddammit. Get in, take me home. I'm out of the good words. I'm blanking. Kiss me long war. Kiss me the opposite of CrossFit. Kiss me Tennessee porch song. Kiss me assy. Kiss me dead as drugs. Kiss me lost. Kiss me gold in the sunrise. Kiss me all the way home. Three more hours to go. <laughs> this is a poem I wrote uh, called Lava. I'm going to let you know something real fast, which is... Uh, I made all my best friends from 
usually mostly from the military or poetry shows. And getting to have a place just to do it. My town doesn't have, in Elgin, I'm actually not in Austin. I just say that to reporters, because no one knows where Elgin is. And um, so hooray for you guys coming. You know, a, a poetry show sucks when it's just a bunch of poets. But to be able to pull in an audience uh, is really cool, because um, you guys uh, are better than poets. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You guys are a necessary force in the world of literature. You know, it is a big masturbation session if it's just a hundred poets in here being like, I want to say my thing. Um, um, thank you for listening is basically what I wanted to say in a weird, awful way. This is a, a thank you poem uh, called Lava. Let's fucking get weird on this. Every coffee table a fort to some child. And you were amazed that you too used to be a puddle of Thousand Island dressing inside of a ripe vagina. And that, yeah, you, you goddamn right. You were ugly as fuck when you were a goddamn puddle. And then, somehow, you became the size of a case of beer. And then you toddle-hugged someone you loved so hard you could only reach the tree stump of their leg to slobber on. And it was great that they did not shush you away. They just let you hold the tree trunk of their leg. Noise gusher, what was wrong with you? How come your tongue so badly wanted to be in every light socket? How come your forehead greeted every piece of cement like an old friend? How come your legs never became the synchronized model you wanted from the catalog? Who could ever love that little mess, that rig of rolling defeats? You wanted someone to find you like an unmapped island, to safe you like a full gun at night in the sticks, to want you like chased meat, to alter your dark, to change your doctrine, like a church of Christ that holds its first dance, to lift you like a voice that sings when you laugh like a mansion. You were as misunderstood as Arkansas, and you tried to summon Hawaii inside because everything you loved was stunning but distant. Yeah, 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 dad stuff. Some fathers just pour their money and love into cars because they were never taught how to slow the flood, so they just kept their hands moving over machines. Some mothers keep looking to the heavens so they don't have to notice the dirt waiting for them. I have learned to sing I love you out there. I love you out there. Whoever you are, I love you beyond your bloodline. The embrace of your shins, the pillow between your legs when you sleep, the spine against my chest curving like a modern tent post as beauty becomes a covered feeling over us. Come like free weed when the cramps keep coming. Stay like flowers in the salt and daylight float of Oahu. In Hawaii, the horrors of the volcanoes barfing up themselves and to themselves, unloading their mess into beaches of black gold reminds me of you, a horror that is cooling. 
there was a drawing that I sometimes look at. It is a drawing in black and white of an empty field of tree stumps, clean cuts that someone had chainsawed all of them down. And when I think of it, I cry. I cry hard. And I cry not because it was drawn so well or that beauty had blown its way in like a scotch headache. I wept because it isn't the beauty others see first that lasts, but the beauty that someone at some time catches if they wait, if they would only fucking wait. The first time I looked at the drawing, I saw vast emptiness, loss of life. And when I came back to the drawing, I noticed in the corner of the drawing a small silhouette of one person staring over the empty chainsaw tree hillside with a noose in their hand. All the trees taken. I couldn't help but think of you. You have done the heaviest of things, my friend. You have changed my plans. Thanks. I'm going to do two more poems. This one is... Uh, In Elgin, uh, we have one uh, libertarian bar. We have one bar. Uh, it is a libertarian bar, and it, uh, the owner was nice enough to say, hey, um, you're artsy. You should uh, DJ for us one night. And I've never DJed before, and I thought, what a great idea. So what I'm going to do is, uh, instead of just regular DJ, what I'd like to do is... Um, I'll, I'll DJ and people can request songs, but I ask them a question, a trivia question about Texas. And if they get it wrong, I play a Disney song. And if they get it right, I play their request. <laughs> so people were kind of scared. And they fucking got uh, a lot of Little Mermaid stuff. A lot, a lot of thingamabobs that night. <laughs> so... Um, but like, for example, one of the trivia questions, was, I learned a lot, actually, looking all this stuff up. Do you know why um, Six Flags, uh, the music park is called Six Flags? Raise your hand if you know. You saw. Yes. Do you know what Six Flags flew over Texas? Oh, yes. So that was, oh, sorry, I should have said what he said. Uh, because uh, Texas has been ruled by six uh, sovereign nations, or yes, yes, he got it right. The Confederacy is the one that stumped everyone, um, so that was being uh, deeming itself as a nation. That was the Six Flags. So if you ever go there to ride a roller coaster, say, "Hey, this is kind of uh, connected to racism somehow." It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So this is called uh, Johnny Cash and the Sad Trombone. Whenever someone got a question wrong. I would play the sad trombone sound effect, which would go wah, 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 wah. So when I point at you, uh, I want you all to, to do that with me at the same time. <laughs> this is called Johnny Cash and the Sad Trombone. You're right, Willie. There's nothing quite like Texas on a Saturday night. Here lies our range life, more space than pavement, land of grand escape, our traffic banishment, and fresh tomato gloat fest. 
Heart skips a beat when she wears an Elgin Wildcat ball cap, summoning deadly sunlight and afternoon winds that try to whip her ponytail. At the Liberty Tree Pub, she pulls up her anchor in the sea of heartbreak. Lucinda is shooting God and gravel from the speakers. See how the cowgirls honk their tonk. Her limbs drink the sway of Indian paintbrush. The heart wants what it wants, and it wants mutton-busting and hoop earrings here in the Liberty Tree. Return to this twang of a love song. Goodbye, empty caress. Hello, fields of coastal Bermuda that have seen so many fade and arrive. I take a job DJing on Saturdays. I accidentally hit the sad trombone sound effect in the middle of Johnny Cash's version of Jackson. <laughs> we got married in a fever. The whole bar turning to me, most of them laughing, wondering what I was trying to imply about marriage. <laughs> I took to the mic. I actually really did accidentally bump. The, I had two windows open, and I hit it at that time. And I was like, oh, God. Um, I took the mic and said, it's Saturday night. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I look at you at the bar laughing harder than anyone else. And this smile is a truth as wide as the great state itself. All right, I'm going to do one last poem, everybody. Uh, raise your hand if you have seen me before. Uh, one, two, three. All right, I'm going to do a poem. I'm going to do a different poem. Uh, I've been uh, trying to figure out a way to make a living doing poetry for a long time, and I only figured it out around uh, 2006 after starting in 1994. This last poem is called Sour Mash. Uh, it's about hanging in there. So hang in there. And so you hit the road with some other white poets. And you washed diner dishes in Dallas for a discount on your meal. And they passed the hat around the audience and you made 50 bucks. And you bought everyone pancakes at Norm's. And years later, you hit the road alone, and they paid you 200 bucks. And you bought yourself a dozen losable sunglasses and a flask to make it through every open mic. And then you hit the road with a queer author and a black dude, and they paid you $1,500 each. And you knew you could make a go of this poetry thing that sucked at your chicken legs and made you follow. You saw yourself changed, and you thought this kind of art form could be medicine and not just embalming fluid. And you and the power blonde put on shows in aquariums. And the audience said they loved it, but they didn't buy much. And you tried going big and began opening up for rock bands and comics. And you learned quickly that dancing and laughing had a higher market value than your metaphors. So you took the gigs, all the gigs, as the gorgeous ones talked through your sets and licked the love in their phones. And you took the job reading your work at the Chicago party clubs. And you read to a room that mingled around the images that broke your ass. And your stack of ideas sold nothing as someone told you that you, Derek, were great ambiance. Fuck. You never wanted to be ambiance. And so you began applying for all the grants, and you wondered what you'd get to do if you won them all, but you lost them all. <laughs> <laughs>
and you didn't know most of the words in the winner's proposals because you never finished college. And the publisher thought you were sexist because you wrote that poem about eavesdropping on your ex-girlfriend during her date. And you saw her car parked outside of your guys' bar. And you went inside and just stood behind her like a weird scene from Mannequin 2. And as she spoke low of you, it burned, you hot crawfish, because everything she said about you was true. You were the creep that just listened. You couldn't wait to write down all that pain. All that poison that kept yelling like a dog locked inside of a four-door summer. And it kind of turned you on and you hated yourself. And the publisher tried to teach you that real life sells, Derek, unless it comes across as needy. And it's often too offensive to sell it when it's needy. Listen to the truth between strangers. The weather. Listen to how we feel about the weather. The truth between strangers sells. Write about the moon, but not about how it fucks up our blood. And no one wanted to risk their book sales by talking about what we all talked about at the bar after the show. You all lied to the interviewer when she said, have you ever had a racist thought? Have you ever had a million thoughts at once? Have you ever wanted to murder someone short? Have you ever realized you were lying about love on stage? Have you ever wanted to die because of how you used to be or are still? Have you spent more time writing about living than doing it? And some of your friends got so turned on by the hunt for the evil ones in the scene, the black energy of losers, you stayed erect for days and wrote everyone is wrong with your gleaming cocks and perfect nipple ink. And some of your good friends realized that loneliness was power and they slipped away. So you, Derek, kept writing hang in there inspirational pieces because the rest was too hard to live off of. And you didn't write anything broken, fuck-heavy, cheap, or dirty anymore. You knew that a great line of poetry was a bullet and that a novel was a long choke. And no one had time in this culture anymore for a real phone call or an involved dinner. So you thought that you nailed fast power by turning to poetry. But we poets only argued online amongst ourselves and pretended that it mattered. We glowed like we could change the world from the back of an anonymous laptop. And the reviews came in. Derek, your poetry did not change anything. It just moved the monster to the other side of the room and made everyone say, hmm, hmm, what's for lunch? You thought about real estate sales and finally eating well. You thought about sheep wrangling residencies where your hands touch soil. You thought about becoming a motorcycle mechanic that actually fixes something. Anything to feel real and stop wondering about capturing the you don't know what all day. To fuck when you want to and not ponder the beauty. To drink when you need to and not unlock the diary. To wander in the woods and not look through the pines for a great closing line. To have an internal fuck you every time you look at trees and say, Oh my God, they're so beautiful, but they're also wet. What does that mean? Morning dew ain't day tears, Derek. Storms are not angel farts. Come is not the drying frost of love. You used to think poetry was important to only poets, and now you know that that is not true. Poetry is important to few poets is true. Loom in the libraries of your fellow writers and notice that they own more than 10 poetry books. Everyone on their shelf is dead. Writers have a hard time loving right now, so just go. Close it all down. Turn off the music. Finish your applications. 
And then you get a letter. Someone writes that they needed one of the poems you wrote. And not that they liked it, but that they needed it. And you try to laugh it off. You try and say you were making a little lost thing important. You try and see something cynical in how you feel reading the letter. But all that comes is that you feel like taking out the trash. And even though you don't know, you don't know how to, you want to skip around like an idiot. And that great amnesia sets in. And it is back to, hello, you blue bonnets swaying across wide Texas. Hello, all you animals floating above me in the blue, blue laundry. Hello to the quiet someone who removes darts from the other side of night and leaves us with many little holes of surprise light. Thank you, everyone. I'm Derek Brown. Good night. was Derek Brown on the Right About Now Poetry Podcast. You can find more about Derek at brownpoetry.com or you can go to rightbloody.com and find more about Right Bloody Publishing. You can, of course, subscribe to the Right About Now Poetry Podcast on iTunes. Just click the button. You can also find us on YouTube as Right About Now Poetry and on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, etc. as the same. You can find me, Davisland, at davisland.info or on Twitter as davisinternet.